Ladies and gentlemen, the Empire Podcast Marvel Studios Fanfare Orchestra is proud to present the Marvel Studios Fanfare in the style of Owen Wilson. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Wow, 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 wow. Gentlemen, we nailed it. Did we though? And, f- and in the first take as well. <laughs> wow is the word there. Wow, wow. is the word wow. for that. It's the only word. Someone needs to get this to Owen Wilson right away. It may blow his mind. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the second of our spoiler special podcasts dedicated to the new MCU show, Loki. Oh, yes. We are burdened. With glorious purpose. This week, I am a bit more prepared. I'm not going away this week, so not only did I see this episode twice like a good boy, I went back and revisited the first episode this morning at 7am, bright and early. Noticed a few things we didn't talk about in last week's show, so maybe we'll touch on some wow. Maybe we'll touch on some of those things during this episode. Or maybe not. Who knows? We shall see. Either way, the we I refer to is a shadowy cabal of three people whose jobs it is to dictate the proper flow of podcasts. I call them the pod keepers. We are joined, of course, by Ben Travis. Hello. We're joined all the way from Northern Ireland this week, near the Frost Giants Causeway, no less. (laughs) Helen O'Hara. Top of the morning to you. And a man who was away last week, presumably he was fumbling around in 1876 or something like that. It is James Dyer. Yes, I dwell in apocalypses and that's where I was. (laughs) (laughs) If you could dwell in any apocalypse, where would it be and why? Uh, En Sabaneur, I think, really. You'd live inside apocalypse. (laughs) Well, you know, no one thinks to look there. So you wouldn't live in the city of apocalypse? No. Okay. He hasn't thought this through, has he? No, I don't think he has. If what if you were like, you know, you're living in like Pompeii, but you were actually, you know, living somewhere completely different. So it's like 79 AD. No, like I'm, I'm thinking, you know, safer than that. I'm thinking like Rome at the very closest. Um, but you know, you've got, you've got a bit of distance between you and the uh, the cataclysm. Is that an option? Yeah, Yeah, I think it's an option. Fantastic. This episode made me reconsider the meaning of apocalypse. I always thought apocalypse was that's it for. Everybody, like an Earth planet shattering event from which there are no survivors. But this is more, these are these apocalypses or apocal, apocalypse eye uh, are, uh, they're more localized. Mm. 
The in, Apocalypse in Eye is in Lord of the Rings. That's the one that's looking around at everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, as we learned, there are several classes of Apocalypse, which yes. what the, the Pompeii was like a class seven, I think, but then the 2050 Rocks carts, rocks ball, whatever that was called, was a class 10. So that's got to be pretty bad if it's like three above Pompeii. I mean, yeah. in fairness, you know, you could see like, you know, fires bursting out all over the town that, you know, the apocalyptic rain still wasn't putting out. So it did look pretty, pretty gnarly out there. Yeah, this yeah. is what happens when the swallow becomes extinct, folks. Then suddenly <laughs> you have hurricanes hitting Alabama. Hills. So, Well, you had the opportunity for, for alliteration there. It's Haven Hills. My apologies. Yes, Haven Hills, the Haven Hills Hurricane. But before we get into the episode proper, the return, you'll be delighted to know, of the recap. We are back, folks. We begin this episode in 1985 in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, at a Renee. That sounds like Sean Connery said. <laughs> <laughs> we begin in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, at a Renaissance fair where a group of time cops are set upon by the hooded figure that Mobius claims is a Loki variant. This variant, to the strains of Bonnie Tyler's holding out for a hero, possesses Sasha Lane's Hunter C-20, kicks ass, takes names, nicks a reset charge, and takes C-20 with her through a time door. How interesting. Then, back at the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, Loki is settling into his new role as Loki P.I., apparently. Mobius, after a briefing in which it is revealed that there are many Loki variants of all sorts of shapes and sizes, takes our anti-hero to 1985, where they try to get their first real lead on the Loki variant. Our Loki, who is also a variant, just to confuse matters, tries a little psychological manipulation here, but Mobius doesn't fall for it. He's too wily for that, and he orders the temporal anomaly to be reset. Mobius then has a drink with Rafona Renslayer, who expresses misgivings once again about Loki's trustworthiness. Mobius then refers to a mysterious analyst on Renslayer's books, calling it now is Reed Richards' Riding oh the X-Men, uh, but manages to persuade her to keep the Loki experiment alive, literally. Mobius then sets Loki to work trying to find traces of the Ferian's tracks in time. Loki, after falling foul of TVA bureaucracy, not for the first time or the last, I'm guessing, hits upon an idea that the Ferian has been hiding out in Apocalypses or Apocalypse Eye. Apocalypse Eye! Which means they can generate a temporal aura without any trace of it showing up. To test his theory, which he demonstrates by utterly ruining Mobius' salad, he and Mobius go to Pompeii just before Mount Vesuvius erupts. So the theory holds water. Or, as they say in Latin, constat aquae. Yes, that's right, folks. Loki speaks Latin in this episode, confirming his status as the coolest comic book character around in a week where it was revealed... Controversially, the oh Batman does not partake in pleasure of the oral variety. Here we have incontrovertible proof <laughs> that Loki is a cunning linguist. Back in the TVA, a casual conversation about Mobius's belief in and fealty to the TVA, the nature of free will and good and evil, leads Mobius to make a breakthrough that they might be able to track and trace a pack of bubblegum left behind by the variant. They do to 2050 and Haven Hills and the Hurricane of Haven Hills that will destroy a huge supermarket. There, Loki, who is teamed with Hunter B-15, quickly encounters the variant. See, variant, track and trace, this thing's more timely. I'm telling you, it's more timely than they, they think they thought they knew. Anyway, 
The variant possesses B-15 and an assortment of shop workers and customers uh, to carry on a conversation with Loki. Finally, the variant reveals themselves as a female version of Loki who sets off all the time reset charges she has stolen, sending them to various points in time and space. Not good. Disappearing through a time door, Loki then agonizes over his next course of action before following her through it, leaving Mobius behind. Not wow. Not wow at all. And scene. There you go. <laughs> cracking recap. Cracking ep. Cracking recap, he said, praising his own methods. Um, cracking, <laughs> cracking recap. Cracking episode. All good, folks. I think we're done here. It's really good. I really, really enjoyed this episode. And I like, I mean, it opens with a massive fake out, you know, a sort of, you know, weirdly rendered medieval thing is, is a thing we've seen in a million American shows about time travel or whatever else. And in this case, it was actually a Ren fair, which is usually what they just look like instead mm -hmm. of actually what they are. And I thought that was really funny and witty and it kept on being funny and clever throughout. Uh, I enjoyed it. Yay. Struck me that this is what a shit Thor movie would have looked like had it been made in the <laughs> 1980s before Marvel 100%. got their shit together. 100%. Helen said American sci-fi time travel shows. It made me think a lot of this. the points of this episode made me think in a very fond way of Doctor Who. Yeah. Like the initial Renaissance fair is what the Doctor Who version of this show would have been where it's like they've got just enough budget to kind of get some costumes together. But yeah, a lot of the time hopping in this gave me that kind of flavour. And I think especially between... Tom Hiddleston and Kate Heron, there is like a weird Britishness that comes through in the series. Um, mm. And I really enjoyed kind of feeling that vibe coming through at various points in the episode, especially when they go to Pompeii as well. Like there's a Pompeii episode of Doctor Who. Yeah. So yeah, that leapt out on me a lot. But I thought it was a great episode. And by the end of it, what I thought this show was going to be, which is Loki and the TVA, and now it seems like that's maybe not the full extent of what this show is going to be. And that has me very excited. Mm. Obviously, on last week's podcast, we had seen this episode, but this is it. This is the extent of the previews that we have been given. So we are now totally in the dark. We were very careful last week uh, to not give away anything that happened in episode two. But there were a couple of times where we said, we've no idea where this is going. And that was with the knowledge of how this episode ends. Mm. Uh, I don't know where or when. Uh, Loki is going when he goes through that door after the variant. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, how Mobius is going to handle it. There seems to be a pretty seismic event that's triggered at the end of this episode. Mm. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But Jimbo, you obviously weren't here for last week. Uh, so let's get your thoughts on, on the show overall. Uh, the first episode as well. What do, what do you make of it? Uh, I'm, I am a fan. I am very much a fan. I enjoyed a lot of the character development in the first episode, which is very, very talky, though not a lot happens. Talky, talky. Not in terms of action, I suppose. A lot happens in terms of narrative heavy lifting. But I love the character growth and the insight we got into Loki uh, and the fact that Loki has a lot more self-awareness than I think we maybe suspected he had. Um, so I thought that was fun. And I, I think this episode builds on it very nicely. So you get a lot more of that, a lot more of the sort of deepening of the relationship he has with Mobius. I think Owen Wilson and he are perfect foils of one another. Yeah. They're fantastic. Um, but we also get some action. We get some stuff happening, uh, which you kind of need to in a short series like this. Like you can't spend too much time titting about. You do kind of need to get to the point. And I think they've perfectly <laughs> pitched the way they're doing this. They've done lots of scene setting, lots of character growth. And now we're getting somewhere. By the end of episode two, you know, all bets are, as we have said, off. Yeah. Like watching the first one, my kind of feeling on this, as soon as we saw the statues of the giant lizard timekeepers, was that perhaps 
other variant Loki isn't the villain of this particular piece. And I stand by this. I'm not convinced that Lady Loki is the villain of this piece. I think the uh, the TVA may end up ultimately being that. Um, and I'll be interested to see whether it's the Lokis and ultimately the jet ski loving Mobius who end up overthrowing the Time Lizards. Which is a sentence I never thought I'd have utter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I do think the TVA are more likely to be the bad guys than uh, anything else. But I also don't think that she's necessary. Well, no, I think she's absolutely not to be trusted. And uh, she's a Loki. Well, yeah, well, yeah, but like even maybe particularly by the standards of Loki's. Lady Loki has been one of the nastier Loki's, you know, Loki wise. Dun, 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 dun. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with that, unless they go a slightly more kind of kid Loki way with her, which I guess is possible. Yeah, I also think she's not the only Loki we're going to see. I think they're 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 setting this up for a multiplicity of the the series, aren't they? With loads of Lokis running around and not necessarily always played by Tom Hiddleston. You know, mm. it's been it's been announced, but we haven't been told who he's playing. That Richard E. Grant is going to be in this series, and I would put money on him being an older version of Loki. Mm. I'd be amazed if Kid Loki didn't turn up as well. If you if you'll notice at the end of the credits, they thank a whole bunch of Marvel comic book creators, amongst them Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey, yeah. who essentially created that character. And whether that means they're using that character, that version of that character, uh, remains to be seen. But I would I would put a small amount of money. I'd put a couple of um, a, a, a groat. I'd put a groat on it. Wow, a groat. Mm. Wow. Well, we're talking ye olde money here. Well, of course, of course, yeah. I mean, pure pure speculation, but if, if they do bring that character in, right, and it doesn't seem like there's been anything among the reported casting of who that could be, and we know that Marvel has a capacity for casting people in secret and filming them in secret, um, obviously for the films, not in a creepy way, <laughs> oh my God. and bringing them in, who, who do we think, if this is potentially a version of Loki who could live on if they are indeed setting up Young Avengers stuff, who are we thinking for that role? Because... I don't know. I, I was, I was that crossed my mind earlier on, and I was, what if they'd, I don't know. Well, low key cast like Timothy Chalamet as like Kid Loki or something. I Somebody who old. has that Tom yeah. Hiddlestoniness. Yeah, I think he's probably too old and too big. I, yeah. I, I don't. Okay, I'm just going to say this. I don't necessarily think we have to see Kid Loki in this show for Kid Loki to be a thing going forward. Kid Loki was born when Loki sacrificed himself to save. Asgard and and he'd made a deal previously with Mephisto and Hela to reject him from hell and basically be reborn and they had won over on him by making him a kid right so um maybe this show ends with the sacrifice and then kid loki actually turns up in future i don't know but the, the, it, it, they might well set him up without delivering him in this show it's possible uh we shall see i guess we we shall see. Who knows? Uh, I might, but if he does turn up, my knowledge of uh, young Hollywood actors isn't what it used to be. Mm. So I'm going to go for Mickey Rooney, probably. Wow, he's a great child actor, or was ninety great. years ago. Or, yeah. Or mm. um, yeah. uh, Haley Joel Osment, I think, would also make a fantastic, fantastic actor, a fantastic yeah. kid yeah. Loki. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I I don't know. I, I was thinking maybe Noah Jupe is someone who popped into my head. And Noah Jupe is great. Jacob Tremblay uh, is great. Maybe a little bit too is. sweet looking. Yeah, um, but that might work in his favour. You know, you never know. Can he do an English accent? Who knows? I'm because sure Loki's English, isn't yeah, he? Sure, Even sure. down to pronouncing left tenant correctly this week, which I'm sure pleased <laughs> you enormously, James, it being did. the massive pedant that you it are. It did indeed. Oh, sorry. Although I must admit, I found uh, there are a few grammatical clangers from the talking clock, which 
bugged the shit out of me. But uh, I'm prepared to let that slide because it appeared in a scene in which Loki was swatting at an animated clock with a jet ski magazine. And what the hell is happening? Uh, which may have been one of the greatest things that's ever happened. It's a perfect union of form and function, James. I'm going to say to you, and I'm going to say this right now, if this series does not at any point feature... Owen Wilson's Mobius on a jet ski, then it's it's a failure. It's just, yeah, it, yeah, that's it. It has to happen. It, it has, has to happen. To happen. I, would, I would put 10 groats in that happening. <laughs> it, is, it is Chekhov's jet ski. Chekhov's jet ski. Yeah. Chekhov said that. He famously said, you introduce Owen Wilson, the notion of Owen Wilson riding a jet ski in Act 1, then you have to show Owen Wilson riding a jet ski in Act 3. That is how it's meant to fucking work. Well, he has specifically said that it would draw the attention of the TVA if a TVA... Um, uh, agent were to be, you know, wow, to fly yes. in on a jet ski. So maybe if they need to draw the time timekeeper's attention, that'll be the way to do it. Put Owen Wilson on Holy a jet ski. Holy shit! Yeah, honestly, I I, have, I I know we've got other things to talk about, but Owen Wilson is, and I, I love Hiddleston in this. He's fantastic. Owen Wilson may be far and away my favorite thing in the MCU for some considerable <laughs> time. He uh, and and I, I I include Agatha in that. I include um, Catherine Hahn in that, who's tremendous. But there's just, Owen Wilson is perfect in this. There's a moment during Loki's demonstration of his his theory about the variant hiding out in the apocalypses where he's just doing horrible, horrible things to Mobius' salad. And he goes, so this is Asgard, right? And and then and, and Mobius is like, it's not Asgard, that's my lunch. And it just made me laugh so hard. Because he's kind of Owen Wilson, but he's not Owen mm-hmm. Wilson because he looks slightly different. You know, and there's even a line at one point, you know, wouldn't you get tired of playing the same part over and over again? And so there's there's moments where you can feel him breaking out of the Owen Wilson paradigm, but at the same time, because he's Owen Wilson, he can't. And he just brings that innate Owen Wilson-ness to it, you know, where he's just endlessly sunny and optimistic and sees the best in everybody. He's like Ben. He's, you know, he's Ben in human form. And I love that Wait, about what? him. And he's just <laughs> tremendous. I'm Ben in space lizard form. We've established oh, oh, sorry, this. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. 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 And he's so compassionate. You know, his, you know, his first action on screen practically is to stop his team firing at the, the kid in the, in the cathedral. Um, and I'm not sure that these guns actually kill people or do they just reset them in the timeline, presumably. But still, he, you know, he, he thinks of the person first. He's always kind of looking out for the little guy, even to the extent of not upsetting the people in, in the supermarket. He's trying to kind of keep his team back from saying anything too scary around yeah. them. and try, You know, he's just a really decent dude. And I think that that is a really nice thing to have, especially in this gigantic bureaucracy where you've got all of these kind of faceless, um, monstrous bureaucrats with their, you know, rules on ringing the bell before they'll acknowledge you in the library or, you know, printing yeah. out all of the the... Uh, stuff in the uh, last week that we saw the when he had to sign everything he'd ever said. By the way, that guy, yeah. I re- rewatched that episode again yesterday. That yes. guy seemed to be playing solitaire. That guy's playing Gallagher. That guy's playing Gallagher. <laughs> he thinks we didn't see, but we saw. So I just wanted to flag that up. He also has, uh, having rewatched that episode, he also has, as you pointed out, there's a cat, it could be a flirkin, we don't, we're not sure, but he also has a mug with a picture of that of cat, cat on, it, on <laughs> his desk, which I, which I really, really liked. Yes, there seems to be, uh, you know, that conversation that Loki has with Mobius about, you know, free will and freedom and, you know, Mobius uses a language, used the word sell it last week, Helen, that he's been born into this hierarchical superstructure He's been told this is a way that you have to do it. This is the way things have been done since time immemorial, literally. And I get the sense that this moon, that, that and I'm a little disappointed if they go down this route a little bit so quickly with the TVA, having already gone down that route with Shield and Sword in WandaVision. But this idea of 
big government, essentially, or mm. this this big apparatus being unwieldy and slightly sinister and having to be taken apart from within. Uh, if they do go down that route, they seem to be setting that up with Mobius being introduced to the concept of of free will. And as you're absolutely right, he he does intervene. He you know he's very very different from the hunters who are going around pushing people and you know wanting to hurt them. And he is the absolute opposite of that. So I think there's a a big philosophical time bomb coming for him very very soon. I would imagine as well that might just change how he feels about everything he's ever known. Mm. Yeah, it does seem to be setting that up, especially with that conversation about the nature of the TBA, about the nature of reality, about belief and and fact at the same time that he has with Loki this episode. It definitely seems to be, again, Chekhov's foreshadowing of um, of reality <laughs> busting to come. This Chekhov guy, oh God, he's... I hear that Kevin Feige has him on staff. <laughs> Get me this Chekhov guy. Well, because crucially, he's never met... The timekeepers. He doesn't really. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't make themselves present. So you know, clearly, it's not going to be three space lizards, and it's just going to be Trevor Slattery in charge of the entire thing. <laughs> and you know, that's going to need to be addressed. Bloody hell! Bloody hell! So yes, the timekeepers. Let's take a quick show of hands. We have some listener questions. We have some listener theories about what or who they could be or might not be. Uh, first of all, do we think they uh, exist at all? No, as I in, don't I think, think so. There's a power there, but there, I don't think it's three space lizards. Yeah, I want it to be because I really want to see the space lizards. Hmm. Um, but I think the fact they've made such a big point of like you see these faces everywhere and you see the statues of them everywhere, and the fact that they're sort of so omnipresent, and yet the character who we is our way into the TVA, who seems to be very embedded in all of that, has had no con- contact with them whatsoever and is only kind of acting through people higher up than him makes me think that they don't exist. But I do want to see the space lizards. So I'm, <laughs> I guess either way I'm happy. Like if, if the space lizards don't exist and it's all a big ruse, then that's a really interesting kind of way to take the plot. If they do exist, we get space lizards. You yes. have never sounded more QAnon-y than <laughs> I'm really so the only thing that makes me think that they might exist really is the possible Kang the Conqueror mm-hmm. kind of link and this this suggestion mm-hmm. that they kind of look well, at least one of them looks a lot like him uh, as he does in the comic books and we know mm-hmm. he's coming so does that mean that they somehow exist maybe there'll be a fracturing among them and he'll go solo uh you know break up the band I don't know but that's the only reason I have to believe that they exist right now, because otherwise I'm 100% with the other two. I think that it, uh, it seems like a setup that doesn't, you know, it's the, it's the old kind of, um, I mean, are we back to kind of equilibrium thing where father is long gone, but everybody's oh, still- Oh, it's Sean Pertwee, for sure, Pertwee it's Sean Pertwee. behind the curtain, right? Yeah. Pay no attention to the space lizards <laughs> behind the curtain. Yeah. Like, is that the situation? It might be. Honestly, it might be. It might be. I mean, this episode raises as many questions about the. Well, it doesn't answer any questions mm. about the TVA at all. Uh, but there's there's a line that Loki says. I can't remember whether it's this episode or the last episode. I think it's this episode. No, it's last episode. There are only two episodes. I'm getting them mixed up already. Uh, where he says to Mobius, "I know what this place is. It's an illusion." And Mobius is like, "No, it's real. It's real. But what if it is? What if it's a master, masterful illusion? Like we're talking David Blaine, David Copperfield scale here." And that that might be what it is. And maybe Renslayer is a little bit more involved in that, a little bit more plugged in. No heroic character has ever had the surname Renslayer. I'm just, <laughs> just going to throw that out there. 
I think I feel like there's been some good people called Slayer though. I feel like we've had a few of those, like Buffy. Yeah, Hawk. Hawk the Hawk the Buffy the yeah. vampire, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like the Slayer is not the the wrong thing here, but she is a little bit sinister in the sense that she is the one who who gets the told what the sacred timeline is and then enforces it. Mm. So she appears to be the, as far as we know, only conduit. There may well be others, but we haven't been introduced to them. The only wrinkle on that is, of course, Agent C twenty, who says yes. that she told. Lady Loki, that mm-hmm. where the TVA are, where the timekeepers keepers are, something that Mobius yes. doesn't know. So I'm not quite clear. I mean, hierarchically speaking, that's a little confusing to me that C20 would know when Mobius doesn't, when he appears to be quite senior in the hierarchy, mm. but maybe hunters have some reason to. It seems odd. But that's the only reason we have really to suspect that they might have a you know physical form and a physical place where they hang out at the moment. Hmm. Unless, of course, once Lady Loki and presumably our Loki get there, they Mm. find a little man behind the curtain or they find Renslayer or who knows, there's all sorts of things going on here. For example, who is this mysterious second analyst who Renslayer is relying Mm. on for information? Where does that pen come from, from the Franklin D. Roosevelt High School? Who has given her that? Why is there such significance given to... Mobius putting down his drink on a slightly different place from where he seems to put it countless times. And I wonder if Loki is infecting Mobius with free will. And this Mm -hmm. is something that's going to build and build and build. And it's almost like the whole thing is run on a on a on a loop in a way that he has you know these these actions that he's been doing have been preordained and you know set in stone and he's done them thousands of times to the point where he creates these rings on Renslayer's table. The second he begins to talk to this Loki, who of course is outside the sacred timeline. Every time I say that, it makes me laugh. But he's outside the sacred timeline, so therefore now he is getting to grips with the concept of free will and he's beginning to act on his own. So he sets it down on a slightly different place. And that's maybe something that Renslayer isn't all, at all involved with some, you know, skullduggery. Mm. She may have noticed that. Who knows? Yeah, I I think that he is part of this wider system. Like, I think it obviously invoked that this week of like, who, who is Mobius? Is is How real is Mobius? If he is very open to the fact that the timekeepers sort of created him in the sense that he believes that the time creates timekeepers created all of us as the arbiters of this yeah he's drunk the kool-aid completely mm. he's he's fully he's fully on board that if p- potentially the tva is a an illusion that he is part of that illusion in that system in a sort of matrixy way he doesn't know that he is effectively a piece of programming is, is what that kind of made me wonder whether he um which wonder. as you said kind of ties into the whole free will thing of he is yeah he's a cog in this machine who has been created to be a part of this machine and now you've got this character who's going to kind of make mm. him realize that he could be more than that mm. well that's the scene where he says sometimes you get tired of playing the same part and so even subconsciously the back of his mind he's already begun to rebel against his training his programming whatever it is but did, whether this is a simulation whether the TVA is a simulation whether that's why Casey in the last episode had never heard of a fish so didn't know how to react when he was threatened with being gutted like one maybe there's something slightly off about this this world well i think they've they've clearly been like even if we take the TVA at face value they've clearly all been created by the timekeepers to police the timeline I, like i feel like they're pretty open about that 
Mm-hmm. So they've been created to be there in this world. They have, you know, those who work behind a desk, like Casey, have no real reason to know about fish, whose actions presumably as non-sentient beings don't affect the timeline, it would seem. Whoa. So, look, I'm not, you know, I'm going to be sentientist about this, but I do feel like only sentient beings can affect the timeline. Wow, there's a time and a place for everything. So you, you're saying that you don't believe in the existence of the soul? I see, I see, what you're, I see where you're going with that. Feel the hake flowing through you, Helen. Oh my God. Get me out of this place. Anyway, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I, I think as through. with all great big bads, the big bad is hiding in plain sight. I'm saying the big bad is on the poster. I'm saying the big bad is Miss Minutes. And let me tell you why. <laughs> because Miss Minutes, first of all, is a clock without any hands. And that fucking, that's sinister right from the get go. <laughs> I'm just saying there's something about her. It's not right. You love Miss Minutes. You've, uh, that's all you've been banging on about. <laughs> No hands, but two arms. Disconcerting. Yeah. But isn't it interesting that Miss Minutes is an actual character who exists in this world and can interact with the characters and isn't just, you know, Mr. DNA 2.0? That's interesting. So maybe James is onto something. Maybe. When she hops out of the screen and is in the real world, has that slightly kind of 2D but 3D at the same time kind of feel. I thought the animation was really interesting Mm. there in that, Mm. yeah, the the sort of front-facing part of her is 2D, but she is also a 3D construct who then like hops back into the screen and then becomes just a 2D again fully. I thought was uh, was quite a cool touch of how they kind of... We called them cartoons, Ben. I know know they're from before your time. (laughs) No, but she's, ho- she's literally hopping between dimensions. <laughs> you should take this uh, this information, Ben, and, and put it to good use on your podcast, Disneyversity. I should. I should. In fact, if you want to read about the... Uh... Oh, God. Oh, hang on. You you can't. You, of all people, cannot have a go, Ben, for plugging, for shoehorning a plug of a podcast into another podcast. I wasn't even going to plug the podcast. Sam Summers, who is an animation academic who I do that Disney podcast with, did a really good thread about the uh, modernist animation um, influences on the TVA infomercial from last week, which was retweeted by Kate Heron and Michael Waldron and people and picked out all these cool little some like specific Disney references as well. So you should go and check that out on Twitter. Yeah. It was really good actually it was. Yeah, clever. I I think um I I don't know that it will be Miss Minutes. I mean my my nightmare scenario right now is that it does turn out to be Mobius um because no. I don't want him to be a bag. I don't think he will be. No. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that's look we have to discuss it. Like it is a possibility. No, why talking, do we have to discuss it? Because if there's why? a bad guy hiding in plain sight, he's the you know one hi- who's plainest. Right? What if, what if the salad was a step too far that <gasps> broke him? What if that breaks him? Drives him. No, look, I I look, I don't think it's likely. I hope it isn't the case, but you know, that would be the twist, wouldn't it? Why would you say that? Why? Just to upset you, Chris, personally, to upset you. That's it. Oh, wow. That's not good. That's not nice. That's very. That's a very un-Owen Wilson thing to do, to assume the worst of somebody. Maybe you're onto something. Maybe you're all both onto something. Oh, my God. Maybe it's Miss Minutes in league with <gasps> Mobius. Ah, oh, this is huge. This is absolutely huge. Um but listen, I, don't, I think we're kind of burying the lead a little bit with this episode. There's mm. loads of stuff I want to talk about, specifically with Mobius and, and Loki and their relationship and how I think that their banter and chemistry um, is what we should have got with Falcon and a Winter Soldier. But maybe we'll get on to that in, in a few minutes. Let's talk about Lady Loki. Let's talk mm. about the Feriant. Played by Sofia DiMartino, who is a British actress who has been in some stuff over the years. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll have seen her in the likes of Danny Boyle's 
yesterday and crucially, and I wonder if this is how she uh, drew the attention of the lucky casting people, uh, she was in uh, at least one short directed by Kate Heron. So that's interesting. She was in a short called Smear from 2017. So, yeah, but apart from that, I don't really know an awful lot about her. And that should work in, I think, the show's favor going forward. So what do you think of that, first of all? And also, what do you think of the, the existence of all these variants? They raise, this raises all sorts of questions, right? Like, how are there so many lucky variants? Where have they spun off of? Or who have they spun off of? Have they, you know, are they all in different timelines? Are they the Loki Prime who dies in Infinity War? Has he turned into people over the years and they've gone off and done their own thing? What's what's your what's your theory there? I, I'm kind of confused about this of how different these variants can be, right? Because we saw some flashes of other ones. We saw like sports Loki and like hulky bulky Loki. That wasn't just sports Loki, Ben. That was Loki winning the Tour de France, a <laughs> race that it is notoriously difficult to win by cheating. <laughs> yeah, no one has ever won the Tour de France by cheating. That's true. <laughs> I think they refer to it as mischief, um, especially when it's Loki. There's also a Kurgan Loki, which I liked a lot. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And then there was like full-on Beast Loki, who I'm assuming was part Frost Giant. They didn't really look like that, though, did they? He looked, he looked frosty like and giant-y, so... Uh, Roid Rage Loki. Roid Rage yeah. Loki. But, so all of those Lokis had Tom Hiddleston's face or looked physically similar to Loki. So then I was quite caught off guard knowing or hearing in the ether that Lady Loki was coming, that this is a thing. I expected a Lady Loki with, like, dark hair who has Tom Hiddleston-iness about them. And I didn't get that from her, which... Mm. I'm really intrigued of how they're going to play that character out because I look at that and if I didn't, if I hadn't heard that Lady Loki was a thing, to me that is just somebody who is we're told is a he Loki variant who has little yeah. horns on. But yeah, I'm intrigued of because the other bits of variants that we've been shown or that have been inferred have been of the Tom Hiddleston variety. So I'm kind of intrigued of in what sort of universe does this version of a Loki exist who doesn't feel that connected to the Loki that we know as Tom Hiddleston. I mean, this this whole thing is a little bit confusing because they, like you say, they do look so dissimilar. So it's not like any of these variants have, you know, picked up a, a tesseract in an unguarded moment and disappeared. You know, they've grown differently. They have developed differently. They have different stories. They have to. So mm. it does suggest that there is still a multiverse, presumably. Well, that yeah, all I, the multiverse yeah. is proceeding along the same timeline, right? Because how else could Doctor Strange have gone through 14,605 different variations before he winds up at, at the, the right one, one true? Yeah. That's a sacred timeline. So the, yeah, let's just say the sacred timeline is where Tony Stark kills Thanos. Spoilers for Avengers Endgame. By the way, I, I, if anyone is listening to this having not seen Avengers Endgame, I'd be amazed. But anyway, so... My reading in that always was that he was going through different dimensions at this at this point, and you know that I still think that the multiverse exists, and there are yeah absolutely as you say, Helen, there are multiple dimensions, and that those multiple dimensions continue to exist in parallel, but they, in parallel, but the reset bombs are there just to wipe out any evidence of temporal tampering, 
shall we say. So I don't think the someone someone wrote in and said, are they committing genocide every time every every time they set up one of the reset charges? No, because it shows that they when they set it off at the beginning of the episode, you see that it just wipes out the evidence of the temporal tampering. It doesn't wipe out the place itself. So the place itself continues to exist. So ergo that timeline continues to exist, but in parallel to the sacred timeline. But for example, like if the kid in the church <laughs> I think <laughs> if the kid in the church had been around when the bomb goes off, like Loki talks about the things being obliterated, but presumably it doesn't actually obliterate them because that would change the timeline. It just resets them to never having yes. heard people in the church because there weren't people in the church. So they, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I'm still a little confused as to how these universes are connected. But I think the idea of the TVA is it keeps them all parallel and keeps them all from growing offshoots. So they all they all continue to be a single trunk, if you will, of a tree with no branches. And if the uh -huh. TVA falls, then every universe develops more branches. Maybe. And it becomes chaotic. And it becomes chaotic. I and guess. Hard to control. And Sure. Yeah, order becomes disorder. It seems yeah. that that might be the thing. It's 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 confusing to me because you can't Suddenly, you know, those Lokis are, are the, not the result of a momentary decision. Those Lokis are the result of years. In in some of the forums we saw last week, I believe if you zoom in on one, there is one that says that Loki is gender fluid. So yeah. mm -hmm. Lady Loki in that sense is actually one of the smaller variations potentially. But there's definitely, there, there still have to be multiple Lokis for any of this to make sense. Yeah. Mopius even says it in that conversation with, with Loki. He says when they're, when he, just before he has the revelation, the one in the cafeteria, the second conversation in the cafeteria, uh, where he even says, I think this is a quote, they're untangling the epilogue. Because Loki asks, well, how does it end? How does it all end? And Mobius says, well, we're only here to protect, we're here to protect what, what has happened, what, what has come before, whilst they are untangling the epilogue from its infinite branches. Mm -hmm. So there are tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of potential timelines. And these timekeepers or timekeeper or whoever it is uh, are trying to figure out put it all together and figure out which one's the sacred timeline, the one that's going to carry on until the end of time and then praise Hosanna. That's, I think, the idea. Oh, that's not what I was saying. Okay. I was just going to say off, off what Chris was saying, I loved that analogy of like that they're in picking the epilogue and the ending and that this show also is about storytelling and deciding what happens and that effectively our three space lizards are Kevin Feige, Kate Heron and Michael Waldron, ah. who are looking at the infinite possibilities of all the different ways that you could take this story and picking what the thread should be. I thought that was just a nice little kind of meta layer within there when they're talking about when you hear about people talking about how they crack stories and like thinking of all the different ways that you could take it and following different branches and try to make it all fit together. I thought that was a fun little notion in there. Similar to WandaVision as well, where um, Jack Schaefer has talked about how she saw it partially being about Wanda being a showrunner and having to make all these choices and having to keep the show on the road no matter what happened and roll with the punches. So, you know, suddenly a character turns up you haven't been preparing for, you still have to you still have to make that work as a storyteller. That's really interesting. Yeah. So the whole thing's uh, the phase four so far is basically we're just inside Kevin Feige's head. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's it's Kevin Feige going, What is Marvel post endgame? And let's make that into series. <laughs> Maybe yeah. so. Helen, you said that wasn't the look what Mobius said isn't exactly what you were talking about. I uh, thought it was well, fairly similar. Uh, not really, because I think all these timelines have to currently exist and just be proceeding in parallel. 
They are, but that's that's no, but that's they, why... but that's different. Multi- sorry, I'm not saying. Sorry, I didn't mean timelines. I mean universes. All the universes yes. have to be proceeding in t- parallel. So they're all the sacred timeline because time and universe is different. It's stopping any of them from producing offshoots. Is what I'm saying. Well, right. the universe is a separate timeline, essentially, isn't it? Like, and we're saying it, it depends on how they define it. Because we've always, when we talk about the trousers of time and whatnot, sure. each each leg is essentially a parallel reality, which yeah. is its own separate timeline. But they seem to be defining the difference between alternate realities and the passage, the flow of time. And this is introduced a little exactly. bit in 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 Infinity War and Endgame, isn't it? Well, Endgame in particular, where they talk about it's all to do with the Infinity Wars, the Infinity Stones. Uh, are necessary for the proper flow of time, which is, you know, weird considering they're all in someone's desk drawer. Yeah, except maybe they're not, because exactly. <laughs> so, you know, how does that link into all of this? I think this is one of those Marvel concepts that if you think about it too much, it starts to maybe not work or make any sense. I'll be honest. I think that might be what's happening yes, here. It's almost like the writers of Endgame and the directors of Endgame had completely different theories about how temporal mechanics worked. That doesn't and sound possible. I didn't care about what would come after them because they were gone. They were like, dropping the mic. Thank you very much. Now you deal with that. Yeah. You deal with that. And so, you know, they've, they've kind of been backed into a corner a little bit. It's fine. This is one of those things where we could t- twist ourselves into turn ourselves inside mm. out all day long. But I do want to ask a little bit about uh, Lady Loki. Let's, she's called the Feriant officially in the credits, but let's call her Lady Loki for the time being, although we have Just a listener question. Really? Just for ease, yeah. And alliteration, which I, I love alliteration, as you know. Uh, but we have a, a listener question, which I'll get to in a second, where it suggests that she might not be Lady Loki or a Feriant. Mm, mm. Very interesting. But clearly... You know, she says to Loki at the end, this isn't about you, which is uh, something that's echoed in the first episode as well, where this Loki is constantly being told that this isn't his story. We're preconditioned to believe that it is his story because this is the Loki that we're following. This is the Loki we have followed. His well, name's on the, the show. Avengers. His name's on the show. He's played by, um, let me just Google it here, Tom... Hiddleston. Hiddleston. Am I pronouncing that right? Hiddleston? Hiddleston. Yeah, he's, he's been in stuff. He was in the Night Manger and things like that. So um, so we, we this is the Loki we've attached our wagons to, but there might be a little bit of a bait and switch here and that the show might ultimately be about another Loki or let Loki maybe drive in the plot, the B plot maybe, of, you know, which will then converge with Loki, this Loki's A plot of trying to bring down the TVA. So my question to you is, she clearly predates this, 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 Loki, our Loki variant, the Hiddleston Loki variant, by some distance. What is her beef with the TVA? Is she trying to bring it down? Is that's, that's why holding out for hero plays, presumably, because she is more heroic than we might be led to believe. And what is she up to with all those reset charges at the end? There's nothing more Loki than say, telling someone else that it's not about them. <laughs> so, I mean that that doesn't that would seem non you know non controversial to me in terms of her being Loki or non confirmational in terms of her be, not being Loki and even you know her saying to when he says oh you know when he addresses her as oh you're me I assume he, she goes well if anyone's yes. anyone you're me so yeah. there's there's a, a battle for supremacy of the Lokis which again just seems a hundred percent Loki um, it's ego versus ego isn't it's ego it? versus it's, it's ego glorious. yeah preening posturing he just assumes exactly. that he's the center of his universe yeah and he may be wrong about that so i do, i do think she i'm not saying she isn't villainous because she absolutely could be she's done villainous things 
She has, of course, but like she's a Loki, we think. So that would make sense. <laughs> I do I do still think, as I said at the top of the show, I, I do still think it's more likely that the TVA will be a bigger bad, even if she mm-hmm. is also a bad. So yes. I, I don't think that's... Uh, I think that's still up in the air and I look forward to finding out which. Presumably we'll find out, maybe even in next week's episode, we'll find out a little bit more about her and what her beef is with the TVA because clearly she has beef with them. She's trying to take them down. She has a very, very good plan. Jimbo, what's your take on that? And what do you think she's doing with the reset charges? At the it end? feels to me like she's just trying to bomb the sacred timeline, that for one reason or another, there's something oppressive about this. You know, perhaps it's a free will issue, perhaps it's not. But it seems to me like the TVA are sort of like, they're enforcing this sacred timeline and that's what she's trying to unpick because she says she's not trying to take over the TVA. She has no in no interest in, you know, subsuming that power. She just wants to, you know, fuck shit up, mm. uh, which, you know, is very on brand for Loki. But it does feel like those bonds going back and unpicking the timeline, they're creating all these different branches everywhere, essentially creating a multiverse that A, you know, it, I think probably is integral in setting up where we're going with, uh, you know, Multiverse of Madness and in the new Spider-Man No Way Home. But also, it's you know, I think that's going to be the crux of this this series, isn't it? It's unpicking that. Which I'm I'm surprised that we're kind of there already. I think I said in last week's episode when I was the only person who hadn't seen episode two, I was like, well, presumably, I think that this show is going to be Tom Hiddleston's Loki. I don't know, fighting back against the TVA and the Timekeepers, and that unpicking that kind of gives you the multiverse or whatever. End of episode two, Lady Loki's basically already started doing it. So which is why I'm like, okay, well, what is the show from it? Well, obviously there are many more repercussions to come from that, but I like that they've just sort of gone for that already. But and also, I mean, we, we talked last week as well about you know this idea that Loki, twenty twelve Loki, Avengers Loki, was all about, and as he said last week, even in his sort of interrogation scene in the theater, you know, he's all about people not really wanting freedom, that freedom causes problems, that people are better off mm-hmm. without freedom. But he has mm-hmm. never, ever, ever believed that about himself. He should be free. It's just other people who can't be trusted with it, and. Um, I feel like that will lead to him accidentally becoming a, a freedom fighter. Like I feel like that's where this show is still going. That mm. Loki, that our Loki or other Lokis are so upset at the idea of being told that their lives are preordained that they will absolutely take down the system that preordains it and accidentally give freedom to mm-hmm. everyone else rather than mm-hmm. accept that they are not completely independent. Um, and it certainly seems from this episode that that's still where we're going. I agree. I think that's entirely where it's going. But there's still stuff we haven't seen in the trailers. Like, I, I still want to know how he winds up in a sort of suit and waistcoat with the, the horns and a, you Vote know, a, a, yeah, phalanx of people who then pull knives on him. Yeah. And so there's, there's presumably double crosses, triple crosses, quadruple crosses. I, I hope there's more of him with Mobius. They've split mm. those two up for the time being. I mean, that's, that's the, Hiddleston and Wilson together are just gold. So I hope they find a way to get those two back together again. I have to say I'm slightly worried about the repercussions for Mobius, given that essentially this is, in a way, his fault. Or certainly the way that they're going to look at it is that they think that our Loki is responsible for this. They don't know that it's the variant who's responsible for this at this point in time. So um, I hope he doesn't get you know wrapped in the knuckles and told mm-hmm. to sit on the naughty step. What do we make of the confrontation between... Loki and Loki, and that little device where, you know, she's passing her consciousness, which we see earlier on. The first time I watched the episode, I thought that she was in cahoots with with Hunter C20, played by Sasha Lane. But then I noticed in the second episode, you can literally see Lady Loki's hand sneak into frame and touch 
C20 on the face, which I'd missed because I'm an idiot. Uh, this time around, uh, you could see that obviously they need physical contact to pass that consciousness between themselves, whilst she also retains control of her host body, her main body, so she can plant all those charges around around the uh, the store. Mm. But what do we make of the, the conversation between the Lokis and the, 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 you know, if every conversation in, you know, in drama is about conflict and about trying to wrestle control of the scene from the other person, pitting a Loki against a Loki is a, a really fun conceit and a really fun way to make that happen. Yeah, you can tell they had loads of fun writing that. And it, even though it's effectively two versions of the same character facing off each other, it felt really, it felt sinister because I think as well, you do sympathize with our Loki, our variant Loki, and knowing that maybe he is uh, slightly further ahead on his journey to becoming a slightly better person after everything that he saw in the first episode of where his life would be heading. I think he's a slightly more obviously sympathetic version of this character. And knowing, having seen what this Lady Loki variant has done in previous stabby, slicey fight scenes, <laughs> and just the way that she's drawing him further and further into that web. It was like the dialogue was great, but that whole process of passing the consciousness and yeah, pulling him further and further into the mega supermarket, I thought that was really, really effective and gave you a long build up as well to them actually meeting face to face while allowing them to have a long conversation together. I thought it was super smart. Yeah, it was it was really cleverly done. I, I um I was intrigued by how much of the packaging in the supermarket was still sort of twenty twenty era and how few products had updated um <laughs> their packaging. But I'm I'm willing to allow it, I suppose. But yeah, I I thought that the, the moving between bodies was cool. Um getting away from Randy was probably the right idea. But but also just, you know, Morphing yourself into a big giant scary man is, you know, that clever, clever use of resources, you know, so it, it kind of fits a, a Loki's demeanor. And this is a different power than we've ever seen Loki use before. Mm -hmm. Well, he's used it with the staff, didn't he? Like when he had access to the stone, he was able to control people's minds in that way. It's whether or not it's one of his sort of like, you know, inbuilt powers that's new. And it's kind of in the, the sting, mm. in the Selvig sting before Avengers. He's kind of in Selvig's head at that point, which I guess he yes. has the Mind Stone, but we don't see that. Which, which they never explain. No, never. It, well, because it doesn't make it doesn't make a lot of sense, really. So uh, it, it yeah. directly contradicts what happens in Avengers. It does, yeah, directly contradict everything. But like, I'm just saying, like maybe that's meant to be a bit of a similar power. Yes, that's a very good point. I hadn't even thought of that because my 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 take on that was that. We even get a version in this episode of the Loki lecture. So if anyone has read the feature I wrote on Loki for the new issue of Empire, which is on sale right now in all good and evil news agents, there was much talk of how in the build-up to the start of shooting and you know during pre-production, uh, Kate Heron asked Tom Hiddleston, who knows, you know, who has forgotten more about Loki than most of us will ever know, to put together the Loki lecture. Now, Tom Hiddleston, in my experience, is a is a a very academic gentleman, double first in Cambridge from Cambridge. You know, he's you know he's Mister Mister Big Brain. So he jumped at the chance to present this sort of TED talk, but about Loki to the cast and crew. And then Owen Wilson got his own one man show version of it as well, which I would have loved to have captured on videotape for posterity. Uh, videotape. Um, I live in a nineteen eighty five, by the way, <laughs> but. We got a sense of that Loki lecture in that scene where Loki is explaining. The difference between I wrote this I down this illusion I, and and when it's like a replication, and he's yes. like they're different powers. He's like thanks, Professor Loki. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Can you imagine going to a university to, where you're taught by Professor Loki and Professor yes. Hulk? Oh, I would like to be Loki explained to. <laughs> and Professor X. <gasps> oh my God, school can be fun, you see. Uh, so he's explaining the difference between illusion, illusion projection and, and duplication casting. But you get the sense that when he sees what this Lady Loki is doing, he dismisses it in that way. He, or he's trying to be dismissive of it going, that's very clumsy. It's always a schoolboy thing. But you also get a sense that he might not know how to do that. And I wonder if we talked about this a little bit on last week's show about how both WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier ended with massive upgrades for their their title characters. And I wonder if part of that might be where this Loki goes that he's beginning to he will begin to exponentially increase his skill set to the point where he's an actual proper threat. You know, he's meant to be, you know, he's meant to be the god of mischief and this incredibly powerful magician, but look how easily uh, Doctor Strange dismissed him in mm. Ragnarok. So maybe the Hiddleston Loki at the end of this is a proper, proper, again, David Copperfield style level threat. A Loki power glow up. Yes, here for that. But it makes sense that she'd have different powers to him. Like, it's a different reality. She's from a different timeline entirely. I mean, yeah. she's, <laughs> that's one of the less obvious differences. But uh, yeah, I mean, she, she, she clearly is more powerful than he is and has more tricks in her bag. Trixie, 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 Lady Loki. Uh, should we take some questions from, from listeners? Sure. Certainly. Let's do it. Okay. Here's one from at Hall Cat tweets. How do we feel about all the Disney shows so far having mirror matches? So we had Vision versus Vision in WandaVision. We had Captain America versus Crapton America in hmm. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> and now we have Loki versus Loki. Well, we don't Is have Loki what? versus Loki really. Really uh, yet. Yet. We'll have to see. I'm I also sure. suspect that Loki, this Loki and Loki will team up. Yeah. Mm. There's that shot from one of the teasers that we all thought might have been, well, I say we, I thought me, I thought might have been Natasha on Formir. Uh, Formir makes a cameo in this episode, by the way. Did you, did you yes. notice that? I was going to say, uh, that immediately pinged my brain because when all the timelines are branching off, uh, there's, you see a screen and it's racking up all the names of the places that have been affected and one of them is Vormir. So uh -oh. we could be going there. Well, but does that have a Black Widow kind of effect? Well, what does that mean? I, I looked at, if you look at the uh, the list of the places that the reset bombs, the reset bombs are being sent to. So they not only give you the, the time, they give you the the date that they're mm -hmm. going to as well. So amongst those, just like places like Milton Keynes and Hemel Hempstead, they're all being bombed. But uh, uh, amongst those, we have Formir, which is being bombed in twenty three oh one, Asgard in two thousand and four. Ego, <laughs> so Kurt Russell is going, what the hell, get off me, in 1382, uh, Titan in 1982, and Sandar as well, uh, which was uh, which was on the list as well. I didn't write down when that was being, when that, when that was being bombed. But, uh, but in going back to my early point, the, um, the, the, that early shot in the trailer of someone who I thought might be Natasha on Formir, I think is now pretty clear that it is going to be Lady Loki. And there's another trailer where we see Loki and her sitting down on a mountaintop and having a conversation. So I think you, they may bond. They may have a spiky relationship, but I think they'll have a relationship nonetheless. A relationship of mutual backstabbing. I mean, let's not, yes. yeah, let's not romanticize it too much. No. <laughs> yeah, this is very, very true. And, and front stabbing as well. Oh, yeah. And side sure. stabbing. Just general mm. stabbing, uh, all round stabbing. But I think they, there might be a bit of a truce between the two of them. And that might help Loki realize that this 
isn't about him in the same way that Doctor Strange, you know, the ancient one said that the Doctor Strange in in his movie, you know, this isn't about you, she said. Anyhow, so how do we feel about the um, those mirror matches anyway? Do, do we feel that, that this is a way of shining a psychological spotlight on your main character in comparing them against, you know, a slightly different twisted version of themselves? Or are they running out of ideas? What do you What do you think? No, I think it's a, I think it's kind of coincidence. I, I think that it's uh, there's quite as much of this as there is, and I think uh, if they'd probably realised how much they were doing, they probably would have tried to move away from it a bit. But it seems to me like it's a pretty good way of uh, illustrating what makes a person a hero, and it's not that they have these particular power sets because look, so does this dude. Or this woman, it's more about how they choose to use them. So it's 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 emphasizing the role of of actual heroism as opposed to ability to be a hero. Mm. It's a time honored tradition, though, isn't yeah. it? It's a way of kind of you know having sort of external introspection, letting people sort of see their own flaws sort of laid bare in front of them by fighting variants of themselves. Mm. But I think it works here, and then it totally fits in. I think in this one more naturally than any of the others. It feels like a more interesting version of something that Marvel was obviously accused of doing quite a lot early on, in which your your villain is effectively has the same powers or the same suit or whatever as your hero, just doing bad things with it, um, which I don't think they always played that out in the most characterful way. Whereas I think in these shows, with the especially with the amount of time that they're given to play with in the runtimes, they use it as a way to develop character and to spark these conversations and to show these kind of differing vantage points rather than just like this guy's got a suit but this guy's got a bigger suit and now they're gonna fight <laughs> yeah um which was a bit of a especially a phase one thing yeah huge at tim from wales uh says do you guys think that loki do you guys think that loki has a plan to bring down the space time lizards and the tva as he says to randy or lady loki you know so are those moments when we can take loki at face value or is he just lying his ass absolute off to everybody bullshit artist no he has absolutely no plan whatsoever beyond the vague possibility that he'd quite like to meet space lizards and then as with all his plans just fucking wing it as he goes yeah He's an opportunist. I think. Look, I think he can plan. I think he can scheme. I don't think he's at the position of having enough information yet to do so. I think he has a plan to have a plan. He has twelve percent of a plan. <laughs> he bets on himself. He's he's proved very very good for the most part, apart from the whole Thanos thing, at just worming his way out of any situation. So I think he just bets on himself. But like, do you know what? I, if I can get through this moment to the next moment, that's a victory, and I'll just keep going, and eventually I'll win. I think his approach to tactics is perfectly summed up at the beginning of the first episode where he's lying in the sand, springs up, jumps onto a rock and announces himself as burdened with glorious purpose. Yes. Like, that is him in a nutshell. No, this is him in a nutshell. Help, I'm in a nutshell. <laughs> Look at this really great, great nutshell. <laughs> oh. That's a variant I'd like to see. And it's happy birthday to that joke, oh <laughs> which is God. now old enough to drink. Oh, it is, oh. isn't it? 1997, 20, 24 years old. Well done, Austin Powers. Oh. Hey, here's a hot fact for you. We are now not as far from 1997 as 1997 is from the 60s. Anyway, so I um, there's a line where Mobius says to Loki at one point, you're going to take my job if I'm not careful. And I wondered if that might also be where the show is ultimately going. Loki, time warrior. <laughs> you know, taking the, the place of the TVA, but doing it himself and... Being a, you know, being a general Loki CSI, which I loved the vibe of that from this episode. It was a procedural, mm. and I loved that. 
I feel like his ego would want him to take the uh, position of Time Lord. Uh, feels like it would be fitting for him. Also here for that. Oh my god, can then you imagine? Then you would be, uh, yeah, do you think the TVA are powerful? Wait until you get the copyright commission or <laughs> whoever it is. Oh the man. The BBC. He hasn't reckoned on the full power of the BBC's legal department. The BBC's legal department versus Disney's legal department. That thing would <laughs> run and run. Oh my god. At I, Dominic, uh, this is incredible. I may be barking up the wrong tree and going full Mephisto on this, but doesn't the TVA folder that Loki pushes aside look like it spells foul when upside down? Is Julia Louis-Dreyfus in charge of the TVA? <laughs> oh my God. So, and he's included a picture here and... Guys, he's not wrong. TVA logo upside down looks exactly like foul. But she doesn't like to be called foul. <laughs> but that's misdirection. <gasps> who's who's misdirection? <laughs> She's a she relates to Miss Minutes. Miss Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and what? So, in if that is true, then she's in charge of all time. But also, like, I'm just going to go and see John Walker for five minutes for reasons. Why would you need John Walker if you're in charge of all time? <laughs> because she can't mess with the time flow as a right. timekeeper. So she can only do it by also being Val, I guess. Maybe. I don't know, man. How many logos did she get made? Because she's got business cards. <laughs> so when, I don't know what, she gave one to an agency in the 70s or something, and that's how you get the TVA Val logo. And so then, But then she would have to have named the Time Ferriance Authority, the Time Ferriance Authority, knowing that it would come down to the acronym TVA, and then commissioned a graphic designer to design the letters TVA in such a way that when flipped upside down, they spell foul. I'm going for it. I'm, I'm, I'm fully on board. Listen, yes, please. Hey, look, if we're going full conspiracy theory, I'm just saying, what does Tony Stark use to crack the you know time travel thing? It's a Mobius strip. Mobius, maybe he's a Time Lord. That's all I'm saying. Whoa. Oh, my God. We are oh all my God. Cosmo the space dog barking up the wrong space tree. <laughs> At Stephen, Ste9hen asks, is Loki justified in ruining Mobius's lunch because it was only a salad? Yes. Yes. Oh, harsh. Look, it he's trying to be healthy. There, croutons? there were croutons, I think. Yeah, it looked like quite a nice salad. But, you know, it's like it's like the Joey Tribbiani approach to lunch. It's like pepper, good. Salt, good. Apple juice, good. <laughs> you know, it's just enhancing it. Okay, never, never eat a trifle that James has made. This sounds like if he's going by the Joey Tribbiani school of cooking, this is a bad idea. I mean, look, I, I, I think I said it last week, but that revelation that the bad guy might be hiding in apocalypses, that's 100% in A Tale of Time City, which is one of my favourite Diana Wynne Joan books. So um, it's, uh, it's I'm, I'm here for it, but it doesn't feel like it deserves, it merits destroying a salad, a poor innocent salad that did nothing to you and is just trying to help, you know, Mobius, stay healthy. I, it just feels very wrong. Salad might be more tasty with a bit of apple juice on it because that's sweet yeah. and delicious rather yeah, than... All that salt, you know? Mm. Oh, it's a lot of salt. Was he was overdoing it on the, the condiments. The pepper I'm here for, the salt was a bit much. But again, that speaks, doesn't it, to the, the drudgery of Mobius's <laughs> existence. No, genuinely, I was thinking about this. There was a moment where, uh, there's a moment where um, he and Loki are in essentially that sort of weird library and they're hitting the books and everything about the, it, it reminds me of the production design of the recent Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which uh, I remember Lauren Laverne saying, 
on her show, it made the 1970s basically the colour of a filing cabinet. Mm. And that's what this whole thing feels like. It feels deliberately drab. The TVA has been designed by somebody to be deliberately drab and to keep people in their places and to have no sense of aspiration whatsoever. So how that jet ski magazine got into Mobius's possession, that that maybe feels a little bit like an anomaly that he's once again clinging to free will. But there's a moment where he's he's they're sitting and they're they're, you know, going through the books and they're going through the papers and they're they're you know they're pounding the case files. And he says, Oh, let's get out of here. And they get up and they walk and they go to a, an equally drab place, the cafeteria. And that's all that the TVA is. We have that amazing cityscape shot from last week and we see it in the background but all that Mobius experiences as far as we can see is drab office drab cafeteria drab walkway yeah Yeah. so I I wonder if again who's who's behind all this you know and and these things are being designed to keep people in their cages to keep Mobius and Casey and everybody in their cages I just you know I thought that might be uh, an interesting little notion there might be a bit of that going on especially if they were created literally to do these jobs and not to have any life outside of it you know it, mm. it, it does feel like there's an element of a lack of free will as you say so yeah I, I think that's probably not yeah. untrue and eating a, a sort of dour tasteless salad every day is the absolute epitome of that and so spice it up spice it up with a load of salt bit of apple juice Put a few grapes in there. It's the great apocalypse. Uh, here we have a question from at giraffe on wheels. <laughs> With the BBC culture article this week referencing perverse fan fiction, I feel the author is not aware of any actual fanfic. Helen, uh, we should perhaps point the author in the <laughs> direction of Papa Cap in my ass. Uh, do you think the writers will fall into the trope of Loki Prime having Lady Loki as a love interest? Oh no. He does love himself. It would make a certain amount of sense. Well, it's the, it's the what was the old Woody Allen line? Woody Allen, uh, uh, masturbation. The, the line about uh, masturbation is sex with someone I love. You know, it's yeah. it's essentially the same for them. Look, I'm not I'm not sanctioning it, but um, what like a ten minute section where he goes to town on himself, literally? No, that's you can't do that. Perhaps they'll Can do it just touch? to make a point to DC. this is what anti-heroes do (laughs) (laughs) but if if we if we take time cop as the ultimate exemplar of time travel in movies right hang on hang on yes we do yes we do premise right from the Uh, back um hello there are time cops all over this thing and not once have i seen someone jump up onto a kitchen counter and do the splits that is so fair. it's that is sorely fair. lacking in that regard but time cop as we all know tells us that uh you cannot touch yourself your other self Steady. from the future or from the past unless you one of you explodes or both of you explode and not in a sex way yeah. so i'm but saying it's not him can- from the past it's him yeah, from another dimension yeah it's the same DNA base, isn't it? It's like Dolly the Sheep meeting Dolly the Sheep would still be Dolly the Sheep. Yeah, but Dolly the Sheep probably <laughs> did meet Dolly the Sheep. Yes, but <laughs> if Dolly the Sheep met Dave the Sheep, I think they'd be fine to get it on. But Dave the Sheep isn't from Dolly's DNA. Dave the Sheep is from Dave's parents' DNA. Dolly, so this lo- Lady Loki's <laughs> DNA is surely the same DNA as, as no. Loki Loki. Well, it's no. got to be slightly different. Yeah. I, I believe these two banging is what would be known as a nexus event. <laughs> so yes. that's a, that, no, Ben, that's a sexist event. Uh, 
I mean, I don't. I don't feel like we need that slash film to, uh, slash fiction to happen particularly. I, I think we would be okay without it. You I think because yeah. I'm halfway through it. Oh well. <laughs> is is this also stop motion animation, or have you gone for shadow puppets? I mean, how are you doing it? Don't actually tell me. I don't want to know. No, no, let's not do that. <laughs> Puppetry of the penis too, Loki and Loki. Oh my god! <laughs> I should be so Loki. Nobody oh, needs no. to see his Nexus event. Anyway, um, I hope that they don't go down the route of uh, Loki stooping Loki, but you never know. You never know. Here's another one from Adrian Bain, at Adrian Bain. If they don't put Loki back to the spot where he disappears with the blue box in Endgame, does that nullify the actions that he will do in the future? Well, but, but that timeline has vanished, hasn't it? Yeah, that that timeline's already happened. Is what I'm saying. Is what I think has happened, right? So that's all happened. That's why you know. So the that's timeline the up to, to that's the sacred Infin- timeline. Yeah, the timeline up to Infinity War and beyond that we've seen the sort of the yes. Avengers timeline, if you will. That is the sacred timeline, that's, as far as we that's know. A, yeah, the sacred timeline, like Jimbo and a Bullseye. That is safe. It's in the bank. You can't touch it. And so, as we said in last week's episode, you can't take this Loki and put him into, you can't return him to the timeline the same way that Steve returned the Infinity Stones to the timeline at the exact point at which they left, because now this Loki is burdened with not just glorious purpose, but also foreknowledge of the future. So, therefore, he wouldn't be able to go through everything that happened in the Dark World and Ragnarok and Infinity War. Couldn't you drop him into 2024? You could. You absolutely could. You know, just see what he see what see what he does. He could be the manager of a uh, rocks cart in 2050, Alabama, for example. Mm. Speaking of rocks carts, I mean, the rocks on thing seems like an obvious, you know, cross reference here. That's been an Agents of Shield, and it's been Agent Carter and mm-hmm. weirdly Cloak and Dagger, which has nothing to do with anything. But uh, that's the that's the evil Marvel energy company, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, mm. and they've now branched out into sort of mass retail, which is you know a nice side sure. hustle. Yeah. Makes sense, I guess. Just given that there, there are fewer and fewer companies in the world right now and they all buy each other, it makes sense that that would be the result of their evil oil company buying, let's say, their evil you know, supermarket company. Name your own one here. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Speaking of the future, by the way, if we don't get to... When we get to 2047, if Marvel haven't made actual kablooey bars, I'm going to be deeply upset. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to set an alarm in my diary for 2047 just saying kablooey, and I expect at that point we will have a real kablooey I admire your optimism, Ben. I, I do not expect to be alive in 2047, So, <laughs> but you will be because you're young and um, you haven't, you know, you've and eaten he had salads. a salad that one time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ad Cantona's ghost expounds on a point that we have already raised. Is Lady Loki simply trying to overthrow a corrupt system and establish free will in time? The scenes between Ravona and Mobius seem to me to be a discussion between a controlling overseer and an ignorant true believer, and that he is being reset every time he gets too close to the truth, hence why he doesn't get trophies from previous cases or remember to use a coaster. Now, I, I have my theory on why he doesn't use the coaster this time, but that is interesting. The mm. idea that this might be a simulation, that he might be being reset if he gets too close to the truth, that's that's kind of that's kind of something to mull over. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. I think there's probably going to be manipulation of him. If he is as good as an agent as he appears and the TVA are as dodgy as we suspect, then it's entirely possible that they are manipulating him in a similar fashion to that. Yeah. 
couple of great questions from at Chris Tom eighty oh five. He says, "I was thinking last week about Loki's final two pieces of dialogue in Endgame. He first mentions to Thor that they will have their time in the sun again. I think he says the sun will shine this again, brother." Mm-hmm. Actually, but you know, hey, uh, and of course, he then says to Thanos that he will never be a god before the old neck snapping. Uh, I wondered if the first episode where this Loki saw his future and these things happening, uh, if they would find a way for him to come back. So, could there be some double meaning to what he says in Endgame? Uh, after episode two, and the knowledge that the variant sticks to apocalyptic events to evade detection, could he therefore replace Loki after the destruction of Asgard, leaving a Loki variant in the sacred timeline? Let's discuss that one first. That is a way that you could have this Loki escape the bounds of the TVA and kind of be hiding out and then be, well, undetected, presumably not for long, because what Loki does is goes and announces himself and tries to rule people and take people <laughs> over. So pretty quickly, it's going to be quite established that there is a Loki uh, running around. But yeah, that is actually a very good way that they could drop him off at a future point in the timeline, have him hiding in the background of some kind of apocalypse and sort of sneaking around, sneaking off unnoticed. Mm. Um, I hadn't clocked but, that. But as soon as he left the apocalypse, so let's say they drop him on Asgard and he manages to find a ship and escape Asgard just before... Asgard, uh, Ragnarok happens, he mm. would then be detectable. That's yes. the problem, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He would have to leave that particular timeline uh, you know, before the apocalypse hits. Yeah, so he could rejoin the sort of prime timeline, but it would involve taking down the TVA first, I think. Yeah, yeah, possibly. And then, of course, yeah, you're right. If there's no TVA around at that point, then he could go around with impunity, perhaps. I don't know. I've, I always thought that those bits in Endgame were just a final defiant attempts to keep Thor's hopes up at a moment when things seemed absolutely hopeless. I've never had the feeling that Loki had some sort of special knowledge or had some sort of insight into a possible future. And the you'll never be a god thing is just his final parting shot to, to Thanos. You know, you can throw your weight around as much as you want, but you're never going to... Well, A, there's a little bit of Loki's snobbery coming through that he mm. is a god. And Thanos, for all his posturing and for all his planning, will never achieve that status, no matter how much power he gets. But Thanos doesn't care, is, the, is what Loki doesn't really understand. And I think that yeah. that is, the, that is the, the, the defiance of insecurity, you know, this, this obsession with godhood, because he, he is a frost giant, he's not an Asgardian. And the Asgardians themselves kind of know they're not gods. Like, they've got to be a little bit aware of it, that they're just really good at the magic slash science stuff. So, well, maybe a little bit better than good, given the whole taking the full force of a star thing, lol. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. I, I, I feel like there's a little bit of Loki's own insecurity into his own identity in his absolute obsession with being a god. Yes, and I definitely came across, I think, more in the opening episode as well, where you see that, that obsession with, with status for mm-hmm. him uh, as well. Just a quick aside. So in the last episode, we saw him look at his future and then in the, in the time theatre, and we saw... You know, he saw him see Frigga's death and Odin's death and even his own death. But this week, he kind of got to grips a little bit with the the death of of Asgard. And we saw in those moments where we're, we're, we're with him and only him, we see that he is capable of feeling emotion. And once again, when Mobius offers his condolences and commiserations about the fate of Asgard, he 
is very sarcastic. Yes, yes, very sad. <laughs> but we see that it actually did affect him earlier on. But the thing I really liked about that report about the uh, apocalypse level event that destroyed Asgard is it gives us the population of Asgard, 9,719 people. That is less than the population of my hometown, Banbridge. So therefore, Banbridge would beat Asgard in a fight. Yes, that wow, is how it works. A, that's a leap. Yeah. Wow, okay. It still leaves open the question of how many Asgardians survived. Because we were told sort of, you know, let's say a few hundred seemed to get on that ship. It seemed like yeah. hundreds, right? And then we yes. weren't quite sure how many Thanos killed. So it's all still yeah. a very small population. About, I'd say, I'd say 173. That's, wow. that's oh, how specific. many are left. I like it. We need a show that's like Battlestar Asgardia that has a, a, a count <laughs> at the bottom of how many survivors are left. <laughs> It has been 14 days since our last apocalyptic event. Uh, the other question from at Chris Tom 8005 was, how did we get the run-of-the-mill, man-out-of-time other variants who were in last week's episode? Like the board member of Goldman Sachs' son and a variant scroll. Did you see that? Mm, yeah. Yeah, good spot. Uh, did, did the Goldman Sachs bloke take a dip in some kind of a hot tub time machine? <laughs> I'm just, I'm not clear on how anybody ends up with the TBA. As discussed last week, and a few people have gotten in touch to argue with me about this, you know, I don't think Loki did anything wrong. He's there as a, as a if there's a crime there, it's a crime mm -hmm. of strict liability. He didn't actually intend to mess with time. He didn't necessarily know that he was messing with time, despite his claims that he thinks the Avengers did it. Um, he doesn't really know that there was time travel involved. So, uh, so it's not about intention. It must be about just effect and you somehow end up uh, out of your own timeline because of someone else's actions and you can get in trouble for that. So it's all a bit unclear. I mean, for all we know, the, the son of the board member of Goldman Sachs ended up with like an Ark of the Covenant or some kind of historical artifact that his dad brought and he was showing off to his frat boyfriends and he, you know, <laughs> stepped out of time. It could be something like that. But I, I, I think it's clear that the TVA are somewhat uh, autocratic in their legal system. Yeah, I think all of this adds <laughs> up to these questions of like, wait, again, so who are these space lizards and why do they decide who is and isn't a, an official part of what timeline? Um, I, I, I like that all of these questions that we're asking feel like they're leading towards kind of what this show is about. Yeah. All right. So uh, I mentioned earlier on that we have a question, which I've obviously immediately lost. Here it is, about whether Lady Loki might not be Lady Loki. And this comes from They Call Me Mr. Q. Uh, based on tweets I've seen over the last hour, uh, I think it's not Lady Loki. It's the Enchantress. Now, the Enchantress is one of the major Thor villains that we haven't seen so far and is a... Uh, a female sorcerer of incredible power and tricksiness, uh, a little bit like a, a Lady Loki. Oh mm -hmm. my god! This feels quite hair color related. Like that seems to be the grounds for this, surely. Yes, because Lady Loki historically has dark hair, and Enchantress has blonde hair. Yes, I mean, yeah, it could be. Do you think they'd have another villain who is basically a witchy person so soon after One Division? Yeah, I don't. I I think it's Lady Loki. I yeah. just you know the, the the conversations I had. I mean, obviously they couldn't tell me much in the run up to the the show debuting, but the conversations I've had with Hiddleston and Feige and Kay Heron and all those people, you know, they say that you know it's very important. Like Hiddleston drew, for example, my attention to the fact that the the logo of the show is constantly shape, shifting shape and changing. And he says it's about the show's about identity. It's about you know coming to terms with 
not duality, but coming to terms with the fact that you have multiple facets of a personality and, you know, and the show's logo represents that. And I think that's a reference to Lady Loki and maybe Kit Loki and maybe, you know, I've seen Richard E. Grant refer to as classic Loki or old Loki, uh, which may well be the case. And there may even be more Lokis. Who knows? We may have Lokis that we haven't seen or, you know, once again, there are loads of Spe- you know, free spaces on the credits block mm. for names that we have not seen bandied around. We know that Richard D. Grant's name will be on that credit block at some point. There may be others. There may well be others. There might be, who knows, like a Heimdall or a, they won't, they obviously won't get a Hemsworth, but you know, it'll be something maybe there might be a, you know, or, or Lady Sif or, you know, someone like that might show up in this at some point. You never know. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, look, the, the Enchantress thing is possible. They've certainly pulled the wool out from under us before and, and yeah, you know, in terms of hair color, headdress, even it, it, the second Enchantress was was kind of created by Loki, right? So, or, or, or empowered by Loki. So there is a connection there that they could play on in some fashion, but it does feel more like it's Lady Loki right now to me. So I'm I'm intrigued to see how it goes, obviously. But uh, yeah, I'm not counting on it being Enchantress, and okay. and I think that there is an element of the show all being about Loki that makes a certain amount of sense given the character. Last couple of questions. At Tim Factor says, it's more of a comment really, I'm loving how Tom Hiddleston's physical comedy is being showcased. Mm. Uh, it's relentless in the Loki series. Uh, it's such a treat. And again, he's he's so good in this. I really hope that this this that he continues in the role after this. I think, you know, you can see a, a you can see a, a, a timeline where he doesn't, where maybe this Loki aware becomes a little bit more morally aware, a little bit more ethically aware, and maybe does make an ultimate sacrifice, knowing that his life will ultimately be forfeit anyway. So mm-hmm. what's the point? doesn't matter. There are no consequences. Nothing matters. So maybe he puts his life in the line and knows that other Lokis will carry on his legacy or his Lokisi. Maybe, there's, oh, maybe, no. that's a, maybe that's a timeline. But I'd love to see him continue on in the role after this because he's so good. He is, and look, we we haven't seen these TV shows say goodbye to anyone yet. In, in that sense, they've left all the pieces on the board for other people to play with. So it is possible. I can see the genuine self sacrifice happening in this, um, and I can see that being, you know, that being his growth that he's been told already. I think twice in this episode and, and last week that you know he is destined to be an evil lying scourge. He's destined to cause misery. He's destined to be a villain. And he's destined to, at best provoke goodness in others by his villainy. And surely the ultimate expression of free will for him, therefore, would be to do something straight up heroic. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's where we go. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is the sort of loosest we've ever seen Tom Hilston with this role as well. I think he's played very many shades of Loki over the 10 years or so that he's been playing that role. But I think there's something about this version of the character where it is more mischief than evil. I feel like he's really getting to play up the mischief of it all. I think through pairing him with the TVA and have him, he's not trying to enact one of his evil schemes here. He's not at this point in time trying to rule anybody that we know of yet. He's not in his like villain mode. This is just Loki in this situation that he happens to be in. Kind of like when we saw him in Ragnarok and he was just like just bobbing around on Sakaar and like kind of enjoying himself and Hiddleston gets to play it in a loose and fun way and get to lean into the mischief rather than the kind of cunning evil of it all. Mm. But again, as you said, this could be, you were talking about the meta showrunner, meta storytelling aspect of the show as well. Maybe there's something here. There's a, there's a meta thread about actors 
you know, there's literally the line. Sometimes you get tired of playing the same part. And maybe there's there's something in here about actors finally getting ready to move on and hand over the part as they can in something like this to other actors to carry it on. And finding new variants of these roles for themselves each time they play them. Hey. Mm. Yeah, but he's so good. I mean, there's there's so many wonderful little lines in here and maybe not so much physical comedy this week. We don't get to see nude Tom Middleston this week, uh, for example, or all that stuff. The, the moment last week with the ticket where he's searching frantically for the <laughs> ticket all of a sudden, it was tickled me immensely. There's little asides here, which I loved. You know, now I now I understand why Thor found mm. this so annoying when he's having a conversation <laughs> with himself. That's good. Uh, the yes, very sad thing that I t- talked about earlier on when he, he deadpans that and just that sense of frantic joy he gets when he's leaping onto the, the cart in Pompeii and yelling in Latin. You know, I don't know many other actors who could carry off a speech in Latin with such elan as as Hiddleston. So, yeah. I'm going to say Martin Sheen, but I take your point. Maybe Martin Sheen. Yes. We're yelling at God and whatnot. Yeah. All right. Can I say one thing we haven't talked about before okay. we go, before we end? We should talk about the fact that there is an action scene set to Bonnie Tyler, which I think is worthy of recognition. <laughs> uh, holding out for a hero while Loki from the shadows kind of like grabs hold of Sasha Lane, turns her against it. I mean, it's not the most elaborately choreographed fight, but, you know, props for the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Great soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And actually, speaking of great soundtracks... When I spoke to Kate Heron and Michael Waldron before the show aired, they told me that amongst the influences on Loki were, weirdly enough, because the show itself is nowhere near as dark or serious or forbidding as this, were Seven and Silence of the Lambs. Now, I can certainly see a little bit of Seven in the colour palette and in the, the colour scheme and in the production design. But also Kate Heron said to me that there was a song in this episode or a needle drop or the use of a song in this episode that was from Seven. Now, it's not Bonnie Tyler's Holding Out for a Hero. I don't quite remember that bit in Seven. It is, in fact, folks, if you listen very, very carefully, uh, and it's a really, really lovely use of it, it's in the scene where Loki goes to the... TVA library from hell, you know, and meets that one of my favorite characters in the show so far, the the, the demon librarian with the half-hearted bell that doesn't quite work, title of my sex tape. <laughs> if you listen very, very carefully, the librarian who is fantastic and really, really funny and reminds me a lot of the lady from Monsters, Inc., you know, Wazowski, you haven't done your paperwork. She reminds me a little bit of that character. Uh, if you listen very, very carefully in the background, you can hear that she's listening to Bach's Air on the G-String. Yes, folks, that's right. Otherwise known as Johann Sebastian Bach's Orchestral Suite Number no. 3 in D Major. And no, I'm not just reading that off Wikipedia. Hmm. So yes, so that is the same piece of music, the same piece of classical music that plays in 7 as Morgan Freeman's William Somerset goes to the library to hunt down information that might just help them catch John Doe. And that's exactly, of course, what Loki is doing in this moment. Well, not John Doe, but Loki Doe. So there you go. And the very last question comes from Odyssey Art Torch, Brian C. Roll, who is a regular listener of the show. And he floated last week, he sent a DM saying, might Kang be actually the head of the TVA? And we don't know it just yet. There are very, very strong rumours that we're going to see. Jonathan Majors as Kang debut in this show before he, of course, appears in Ant-Man and the Wasp 3 
the return of Sonny Birch. Quantumania. Sorry, Quantumania. I just think if I I keep saying it, they'll change the name to that eventually. But anyway, on that note, I think that is it for this week's Loki spoiler special. Join us next week for more Loki spoiler-related fun. Uh, If you don't already listen to the regular podcast, it's out every single Friday. And keep them peeled on your spoiler special feed. Thank you once again for subscribing. It really does mean a lot. And keep them peeled on your spoiler special feed for more film-related treats coming your way. Uh, You've had A Quiet Place Part 2. This week we'll also see Godzilla vs. Kong, Spiral from the Book of Saw. You've got Cruella coming soon. You've got Nobody coming soon. Oh my god. Your spoiler cup truly doth or runneth over. But... On that note, until we meet again, until an auspicious occasion, until then, it is goodbye from my three podkeepers of such lethal cunning. Evil Line Scourge. That's not my assessment of your character, Helen O'Hara. That is your squad cast <laughs> name. It was a quote from the episode I couldn't resist. Doodaloo. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I insulted Helen. Luckily, to <laughs> imagine my relief when I found that it was actually a quote from the episode. Um, it is goodbye from Bonnie Tyler. James Dyer. Just sitting here, holding out for a hero. Turn around. (laughs) (laughs) It is goodbye from Class 7 Apocalypse. (laughs) Ben Travis. Ragnarok, are you familiar? (laughs) And it's goodbye from me, Fairy Ant and Fairy Deck, because the existence of a Fairy Ant implies the existence of a Fairy Deck. Good Lord. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed, folks. That's as good as you're going to get. Anyway, that's it for me. I'm off to my local rocks cart to pick up a packet of Cub Louie. Thanks for listening. See you next time. For all time. Always. Beautifully done. Bye. Wow, 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 wow. Wow, wally, wow. <laughs>